Welcome, everyone. This is the Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I am Alvaro Reyes, staff member at the Council of Institutional Investors. I'm here today with Professor Ryan Wilson, a professor of accounting at the University of Iowa. Professor Ryan Wilson is a co-author of a recent research paper entitled Not Ready for Primetime, Financial Reporting Quality After SPAC Mergers. Welcome, Professor. Thank you for speaking with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Alvaro. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have an opportunity to talk about our research paper, and I'm excited to be on. Professor, your recent research paper is based on your review and analysis of data between post-merger SPAC firms from 2006 to 2020 and firms that went public in the same year. Professor, what inspired you to conduct this analysis? Yeah, so we were, uh, my colleagues and I at University of Oregon, when I was there, Professor Kyle Peterson, Jay Woo Kim, and Sayang Park, who are my co-authors on this project, we just spent a lot of time talking about SPACs. We were intrigued by the boom in SPACs that started in 2020 and ran through 2021. Of course, that got our attention as accounting professors. And we talked about it from all different angles. You know, is this, is this a good investment? Is this something we should be investing in? You know, what are the conflicts of interest between the sponsors of the SPACs? and the investors, the issues around warrants, forward-looking disclosures that SPACs are able to make, all kinds of things. But I think as accountants, you know, the one thing that was most interesting to us was just the fundamental difference between SPACs as a, a sort of vehicle for going public versus IPOs. And IPOs, you know, interesting because you think, I, I think that most firms that have an IPO spend potentially a couple of years building up the infrastructure and getting advice from their accountants and their attorneys in preparation for making public filing, right? And, and meeting the internal control requirements under Sarbanes-Oxley. And that's really different than the process for SPACs, where these private companies are being identified by the SPAC and acquired. Now, it's possible they are making some investments in hopes of being acquired and becoming public through that mechanism. But it's definitely a fundamentally different process than it is with IPOs. So that angle is what captured our interest. And we wondered what the effects of that would be on sort of the accounting outcomes. And that's what led us into this study. Professor, what kind of data were you looking for and what were some of your key findings from your analysis? Yeah, so we were most interested in looking at the types of outcomes you might expect to see if indeed it was a little bit of a rushed process, at least in comparison to IPOs for these SPAC firms in the DSPAC period, so after the acquisition, to become public. What might that look like? And so the types of outcomes we looked for were, um, you know, these firms may have more restatements. They may have more major restatements. They may have more financial restatements because of errors. They may have more amended returns, more non-timely filings, certainly more internal control weaknesses if they weren't prepared necessarily for the process of being public or weren't as prepared. So we looked for those types of outcomes as points of comparison in the data. And of course, we compare the DSPAC firms to IPO firms. Now, this really is just a descriptive analysis, and I think that's important to emphasize. I think that the results are, are super interesting as a point of comparison, but you know, there are obviously selection issues. I mean, it's sort of an endogenous decision as to whether the company wants to go public through an IPO versus being acquired through a SPAC. So it isn't necessarily an apples to apples comparison. But I think our analysis does confirm a lot of the speculation that you've seen in the media about the quality of some of the accounting uh, information, public filings of the SPAC firms. So we think it's an interesting interesting point of comparison. Now, what we didn't look at is we didn't have any clear predictions or theories for uh, necessarily why SPAC firm management would be opportunistic in their filings, right? So our, our focus is really on the types of outcomes that you would expect to see 
if they weren't prepared, which is a little bit different than bad accounting outcomes that might occur if, say, the managers of the firm were, were managing earnings upwards or doing other types of activities to, to try to uh, take advantage of the situation. That's not what we look at in our paper. What we look for is outcomes, accounting outcomes that are a result of this sort of rush process. So, Professor, why should U.S. investors and other market participants listening to this podcast be concerned from your findings? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know that it should be hugely concerning. I mean, it's always a trade-off, right, between the cost, uh, the costs around going public and capital formation, and having really high quality or perfect information in your public filings. And the SPAC process of going public is more compressed than it is for the IPO process. And because of that compression, we see some pretty interesting results, right? We see that the SPAC firms have about a nine and a half percent higher likelihood of having a restatement in their public filings. We see that they have a higher percentage of non-timely filings and amended filings. You know, interestingly, we find that they had a higher percentage of internal control weaknesses, both internal control weaknesses identified by the auditors, but also identified by the management team. And, and these were more likely to be sort of company-wide. And then we also find that investors seem to respond less to earning surprises from the SPAC firms than they do to earning surprises from IPO firms, which means they're probably putting more or I'm sorry, less weight on the accounting disclosures than they are for IPO firms. So they seem to have some awareness. Now, I think our findings are interesting in a, in a number of respects. One, they should be interesting for investors, right? Because at least this is something that they should anticipate, that there may be lower quality accounting information being produced by these SPAC firms, at least relative to IPO firms. And they should adjust the way they respond to that information accordingly. And of course, for regulators and policymakers, I mean, the SEC already has some proposed rule changes around SPACs that I think are designed to provide more accountability in fact, holding underwriters potentially accountable for uh, the statements that are made by the by the DSPAC firms. So our findings should be of interest in policymakers, to policymakers as they sort of consider these new regulations. So, Professor, you actually touched on it a little bit, but the SEC is, is in the process of reforming SPACs. If you were the commissioner of the SEC, what would you focus on to improve the quality of financial reports of SPACs? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a, an excellent answer. I think, you know, some aspects of the proposed regulations make complete sense to me, right? Like, I think it's important for investors in the SPAC, really investors that hold on to the investment through the DSPAC period understand the dilutive effects of the compensation that's provided to the sponsors, right? Now, that, this isn't something we address in our paper, but that seems really important to me that that be clearly disclosed. Conflicts of interest between the SPAC sponsors and investors, I think it is something that should be disclosed. Uh, and I think there should be some accountability around the accuracy of, of the filings. And, and it maybe even makes sense to hold underwriters responsible. But I think you know, as commissioner, it's a balance, right? You you can impose costs such that, you know, all of the information in the public filings is going to be perfect, but that's that's going to be extremely costly. And we've already seen with these proposed regulations coming out that a lot of the big banks 
have pulled out of participating in the SPAC process, right? And so if you make the process overly costly, then you're going to discourage this kind of capital formation. So it's a sort of a fine line. And I would be very wary to sort of over-regulate uh, in this area. But on the other hand, you want to protect investors. So I, I think what I'm saying is that uh, I'm glad I'm not the <laughs> commissioner of the SEC because that's a, that's a difficult balance. And I'm sure that's something that they're they're trying. That's a line they're trying to walk, I'm sure. And, and the, the other factor that's out there, of course, is the markets have been performing as well uh, lately. So that that probably also has led to a significant decline in these SPAC transactions. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting balance and I'm I'm glad I'm not the commissioner. Well, thank you, Professor. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank Professor Ryan Wilson from the University of Iowa. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at alvaro at cii.org. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.